Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. Is this anyone's first Wednesday in a new semester? Any, look at all of this. Well, congratulations, and we welcome all of you. I'm thankful you're here. This is an important part of our worship uh, service to come to the table on Wednesdays and to uh, be blessed, not just uh, with the word, but with the sacraments as well. I was going through uh, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and uh, going through the whole scripture uh, of the Gospel, and was really taken back by how many references there are in the Gospel of Luke to people falling down, either at the knees of Jesus or at the feet of Jesus. And so what I would like to do this morning is take you through just a few of those. There's no way we can go through all of them, but to take you through a few of them so that we can uh, perhaps allow the Holy Spirit to give us a better grasp of this basic posture of worship, which is a, a posture that is not just going to carry us here at seminary, but, but to carry us literally throughout our lives. So we start out with uh, this account with Peter and uh, some of the earliest disciples. They're not disciples yet. They're still fishermen. And, and, and really, when you, when you look at this and, and, and you step back from it, you, you see that I think what is happening is that Peter is simply overwhelmed with the goodness of the gift of those fish. Now, you've got to know, Peter uh, was caught up in this worldly trade. It was a good trade. There was nothing wrong with it. But he was caught up in this worldly trade of catching fish. He knew how it worked. He was an expert at it. He knew when to fish, when not to fish. And so he, as the story tells us, came in empty-handed. And really what happened next was beyond any category that Peter had ever seen in his life. This was overwhelming to him. Now look at his response. What's his posture? How does he respond to the gift of grace? Go away from me! <laughs> I'm a sinful man. Have you ever been in a place where uh, something overwhelming, something real uh, that uh, exudes an action of love that you really haven't seen before? You've been there and you're quite taken back by it. I took a class, a seminary class. Uh, well, I've taken a number of seminary classes to uh, India. And in one of those trips, we were down in the southern part of India, in the land, close to the land of the Siemens. And, and, and we were there in uh, Bethel Agricultural Fellowship. And um, we were simply there. I was teaching, and the uh, students were loving on all of the orphans there. Now, these orphans had nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean literally nothing. They had ragged clothes to wear. They didn't have toys like our children have. Really, the only thing of value that the little girls had, 
It, it was provided by the Dutch government. The only thing of value that the little girls had was a gold necklace. That's an important thing in India. So every little girl had one, had a gold necklace. And that was the treasure of their lives. Well, during the week, one couple that I took with us, a seminary couple, just loved those kids and loved uh, to be with them and played with them. And, and it was very moving to see that toward the end of the week. One of the little girls came up to this seminary couple, to the wife. She took off her necklace and gave it to that seminary wife. And I was there and we melted, I mean, everybody around who saw that, melted in tears. Here was love giving everything of value, quite literally, that the little child had. Now, the good news out of all of that is that that seminary couple was very, very blessed financially. I know, I, I know you wish you could be there too. But anyway, only the Lord knows how many tens of thousands of dollars poured back into uh, Bethel Agricultural Fellowship because of a little girl giving all that she had. Now, here's Peter. He's received this overwhelming gift of love. He didn't ask for it. He didn't seek it out. It's what we call free grace. You know, he didn't deserve it. He's overwhelmed with the gift of God's goodness to him. And I think when he says, go away from me, Lord, I think what he's saying is, man, I, I'm not worthy of this. And was God's grace and love ever based on your worthiness or on my worthiness? Kind of got to get that straight right from the beginning, don't we? Or we end up in a bad camp, in a bad place. No, God's love is based on who God is. And it was manifested to him through the Son of God who was right there with him, sharing that overwhelming goodness with him. So Peter was called to repent. He was called to move away from a life caught up in, in following after values of the world. And he was called to be about something much, much greater than catching fish. Now, go with me to the second. So if you'll flip over to Luke 7, 36 through 50. We're going to enter Simon the Pharisee's home. And when we're in Simon the Pharisee's home, we're going to see a sight to behold. A woman in the city who was a sinner. So I think is that word sinner is used there. It's a category of people who's uh, you know, breaking God's will. She was a fallen woman. Whether she was there by circumstance, in other words, she was forced into that, there was really nothing else available to her or not, we don't know, but it really doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter how you and I get into the messes that we're in. What matters is how we respond to the gift of God's grace. 
Now look at this unnamed woman, chained by the sins of the flesh. Obviously, she'd been touched. I mean, she had heard this, the Savior speak. She'd, she'd been blessed by him. And she is here sharing now out of the great wealth of her life. And so you see in 38, 738, she stood behind him at his feet, obviously leaning over, weeping, anointing him with the alabaster jar, breaking all that she had. This is a big Brian Sims story. Breaking all that she had in worship. Man, can't you put yourself in that situation as well? You've received forgiveness. You have been accepted, not because of what you did, but because of the redeeming love of Christ in your life. And notice how this whole section ends. If you go down to the bottom, he says, 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Love it. Irene. Uh, uh, and I love, the, I love the, the Old Testament word behind it. Shalom. Dear heart, your name is no longer guilt. Your name is no longer tied up in what you did wrong. You're now wrapped in a wholeness and in a peace that is a sheer gift to you. Now you can go forth in this gift and so... The, the, the ravages of the flesh were broken in her life through intervening love, through care, through embrace. Amazing, amazing count. So what's our definition? The call of the gospel is always to a definition of shalom, to the well-being, to enter into the embrace of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gave her peace. He gave her acceptance. He gave her forgiveness. He gives her his life. And the bondage of sexual addiction is broken. Amen. It can be broken. And so her life really becomes one great thank you life of worship falling before her Lord. Amazing. Amazing. Go to the next section. Go to uh, Luke 8, 26 through 39. Now we're stepping across the Sea of Galilee here uh, down into the country of the uh, Gerasenes. Uh, so if you go due east across the Galilee, across the lake, and it's, it's going to be a, a little... Southeast, So it's right at the tip of northern Jordan, southern, uh, what's the, Syria, southern Syria today. All we know is that this was a man who was demonically possessed completely. All of us have to be very, very careful of allowing any kind of foothold of darkness into our life. Any kind of foothold. Because it's from those footholds then 
that uh, Satan will seek not just to beachhead, but to take over the whole country. And so we don't know how this happened. We don't know what, uh, uh, what the events were that led to this man being completely controlled, overwhelmed by the evil one. But uh, you will face this in your ministry. I've seen it more overseas than I've seen it here, but you will face it. So here is this man who is ravaged, such a wild beast of a person that chains won't hold him. He goes around naked in the wilderness, and the whole community knows about him. What happened? Listen, when the power of life enters into this world, all of the uh, octopus that Joe Donja will draw out for you in the Mark class all of those, uh, and you got to take that class, all of those tentacles of death, all of them are confronted. Love overwhelms darkness, and love overwhelmed the darkness of Satan in this man's life. And this guy is set free. He's set free. Now, uh, look, look down in, um, look down. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man, in verse 35, from whom the demons had gone. What's he doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's waiting. He's listening. He's adoring. He's free. There's joy in this man's life. And then look, look down in 39. He's begging Jesus to go with him. When you get set free, you want to be with the people who set you free. You want to be with the community who sets you free. But uh, here, look at verse 39. Return to your home, Jesus tells him, and declare how much God has done for you. When the powers of darkness are broken, then you and I are given a mission of proclamation to declare the inbreaking of life and love and freedom into the world. Do you know? Do you know that there are the church is very much alive in northern Jordan? I know some of them. And do you know that the powers of Satan cannot and will not? destroy God's church in Syria. Could it be? Could it be that this man actually started the church in northern Jordan, southern Syria? Well, we don't know. That's pure speculation. But he went, he shared, the name of Jesus was held high, and good things happened. These things happened to us as well when we sit at the feet of Jesus and receive his love. Now go to the next account. It's right below. Just look in 840. So there's a ruler of the synagogue. This means he, he would have had really nice clothes. He would have been a well-respected man. His name was Jairus. Jairus had an only daughter, Boy, it's hard to uh, preach on this. You've got to be careful when you talk about things and, and the death of children. Uh, and even now, you know, 
tears will well up when I think about this man going to the only source he had left in all of life because his 12-year-old little girl is dying. There's no greater grief anyone will know, I don't think, than to lose a child. And so he, where, where, where do we find him? Look in verse 41. This man who had means... This man who was well off for that day and time, this man who had connections, this man who was high up in the Jewish faith, where do we find him? He fell at Jesus' feet and he begged him. I bet there's some parents here who have fallen at Jesus' feet begging for their children as well. And I bet there's a bunch of you students here who have had parents fall at their feet begging for you. Do I hear an amen on that one? <laughs> Lord, do we ever intercede for our children. Now, this man was really at the point of, of I think, two deadly sins that the very early church explicated. The two deadly sins were, in their language, tristidia and acidia. Tristidia is uh, a, a, literally uh, translated as a worldly sorrow that um, you just choose to focus in on all that's wrong. But tristidia leads a person to give up. Now, he didn't give up, thank the Lord. But tristity is a dangerous sin for us because it focuses in on the limitations of a situation. Now, I suspect every one of you here today and every one of you listening today have already realized that not only have you faced situations like this, but you are going to face many, many situations where there seems to be no way forward for you or no way forward for a denomination, or no way forward for a situation, or no way forward for a, a, a person that you love who is collapsing. And this, of course, is one of the great lessons that the Lord teaches all of us, that, that in the face of what we see as impossible, He opens vistas that we never dreamed possible. I have the great privilege of helping to fill in for uh, uh, a large church in southwestern Colorado and preaching for that church so that their lead pastor can um, go on a break. So I'll go for six weeks at a time. Sometimes I've gone for 12 weeks at a time. And my next time I'll go for six weeks in Durango, Colorado. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, congregation there. And uh, the last time I went for six weeks in the summer, I, I stayed on the edge of the Animus River. That's one of the most beautiful mountain streams in the world. Right where I stayed was very turbulent part of the river, and it was so turbulent when my little children came, uh, grandchildren came, we warned them, said, you cannot get close to that river there. Uh, there's, there's grave danger in that river. But I would walk up and hike up uh, uh, this valley. The river, of course, is in the bottom of a valley. I would hike up above the river. And whereas when I'm right there on the river, 
All I see, all I saw was the turbulence, beauty and turbulence. But when I walked up above, hiked up above, and could see it for miles, you could see more of the whole of it. And I am taking, I take great comfort at the gift that Tom Oden gave me of seeing the providence of God and that reality is bounded by grace. And your life is bounded by grace. And when you're in the midst of uh, the turmoil of the rapids, you don't see much. And it just kind of feels like you're going to sink. But we rest on something far greater. And that is a grace that holds us. And so Jesus confronts this man's downward tendency here to not have faith. And what does he say? Look in verse 50. Imperative command. Do not fear. And this is a word to you when you get overwhelmed in seminary, when you get overwhelmed in your family responsibilities, when you get overwhelmed in ministry responsibilities, because I can assure you times will come more than once when it's all beyond your control. And your excellence in homiletics and theology and biblical studies and your excellence in spiritual formation is not going to be enough. You're going to need more. You're going to need the sheer grace of God to help you see the bigger issue here and to trust. Only believe. Have faith in. Put your, this is called abandonment to the holy. You, you place your whole life, you, you place everything's in now. All right, Lord, I'm trusting you. This is going to turn out. That's what we do in worship. This is who we are in worship. We lay our lives down in absolute faith, hope, and love, trusting, assured. He will come. He will come. And so this man, Jairus, he received the gift of faith. It's not his faith. He received it. He received an assurance that all things shall be well, as Julian taught us. All manner of things shall be well. One last final word. Flip over now to Luke 10, 38 through 41. You know the story of Mary and Martha, and we cannot explicate it now time-wise. But here's the point. When Everything in her world was calling her to be busy. We find Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. What did Jesus give her? He gave her priority. And it's probably the greatest lesson you'll learn. Because the huge temptation for all of us, myself included, in seminary, is the temptation to be overly committed and to be overly busy. You know, in all love, in all humility, let me share that I've served as the pastor of, of a large congregation, and I know those demands. I know what it's like. 
But honestly, the demands I have here at seminary are greater on me than they ever were in the local church. Could be because I'm getting older, but we will not say amen to that. Here's the temptation. The temptation is you get up early in the morning and you, you flood yourself into work. Here's the temptation. You stay up late at night. You're flooding yourself into work. And so in seminary, you set in a dissonant disposition. What does that mean? You set in a way of working toward reality where there's no time for worship. There's no time for sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then guess what? That disposition carries with you right into ministry. And before you know it, you're one of those statistics of burned out, burned up ministers of the gospel who want nothing out of the church other than to be out. And that's not what God has called you to. He's called you to a life of fruitfulness and faithfulness. And for that to happen, we've got to take Mary's posture for the Martha in us to do her work, according to Susan Muto. The Mary in us has to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now go to Philippians 2, and I promise we'll close. There's movements here. There's movements in discipleship. There's movements in worship. But it all starts with the gift of grace. It all starts with the gift of goodness coming into our lives. It's not that I, affirm, that I first approached God. No, provenient grace has been with me from the beginning, filling me, loving me, guiding me, nurturing me, preserving me, helping me, blessing me with overwhelming goodness that's totally undeserved. And he's doing that in your lives as well. Peter receives this overwhelming gift and he moves from being a man of the world catching fish to following his Savior, catching people for the kingdom. The unnamed woman receives the gift of love and embrace and she moves from being chained to sins of the flesh to an adoring, loving worshiper of God. So the flesh was broken. The gathering demoniac is encountered by the living God and the chains of demonic possession are broken. And this man moves from being a wild beast of a person, a non-entity almost, to a human being, responsive now to love and to grace. And as the chains of Satan were broken, he's given mission. The mission of God now becomes his mission, just like it does our, for us all the days of our lives. Think about Jairus. He faced an impossible situation, and you may already be there looking at all that you have to read and do for this semester. It's impossible, Lord. How can we do this? And you immediately fall on your knees and say, Jesus, with your help, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I can take joy in this. 
enjoy in this season, and you will be overwhelmed by grace. To Mary, who set priority and kept priority. For us, that may be the greatest issue of all that we're called to be about here in seminary because without the priority of worship, all the rest of this stuff uh, is not really going to have a way to integrate itself into our lives. That's why these chapel services are so crucial in your seminary education. So we read Philippians 2, 9 about the posture that we will take in a time that will come soon. Therefore God also highly exalted him, the hymn goes, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen and amen. And in this invitation that you are called to now to participate in the means of grace, we come and we bend our knees before the Father.